We're very thankful to be joined today by John Tebow. He is the author of a book, How to Change a Law, Practical Steps to Help Citizens Become Empowered. And I think this will be a particularly fun conversation because, John, uh, just so you know, I am also the mayor of Murfreesboro, a town of about 8,000 people, and so I'm involved in not laws but ordinances, and I've seen this process play out from that side of the table over the years. So with all that said, John, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Will. It's great to be on. And actually, the fact that you uh, are the mayor makes it even more interesting, because I found that with politicians at any level of government, they understand it completely. Yeah, certainly uh, we understand things that are not obvious to the every citizen, perhaps. And so uh, let's uh, start with this. Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, how you came to want to author this uh, book, etc. Yeah, the um, I guess the beginning of it really was I had uh, worked in government affairs at MCA Universal, which is Universal Studios, um, years ago. And in the course of doing that, most corporations have, you know, small government affairs offices where they deal with state and federal issues. And in our case, we were dealing with lobbyists, attorneys, members of the House and Senate and the administration. And uh, again, bringing together the entire entertainment industry, which would have been, you know, Fox, Paramount, Universal, Sony, all those companies, um, around issues on piracy and intellectual property, those kinds of things. And in the course of doing that, it seemed to me that we were getting things done, which you understand is basically making policy and changes. And I thought late years later, <clears throat> why is it so difficult for the average person to have an effect or to get anything done, even at the local level? when it was so easy for us. And so as I looked at it, I said, you know what, there's some principles that I learned from that experience that would apply to the individual as well. And that's what prompted me uh, years later to say, well, let me apply that, simplify it, and see if we can put it into a, uh, a more manageable, digestible form for people to um, you know, read and understand. Now, of course, we don't want to pack, unpack the entire book, but if you were going to uh, coalesce maybe two of the central ideas in your book, uh, what would they be? Yeah, there, there's three really big ideas, which um, are kind of the ABCs. And I think this applies at any level, even if you're a local homeowners association. And the first one is you need to clarify your issue. And again, I won't unpack that, but being clear about what you want and solving a problem in your community is really critical. The second thing is, obviously, you need to build support. So I say that you need to build a coalition. This is the B part of it. And you, as you know, if you are one individual going to City Hall saying, I want to get something done, they don't listen. But if you come in with 10 people, then they start saying, well, maybe more people want it. If you came in with 100, then it's like, let's take this guy seriously. And the third part is appealing to a higher authority. So often what we see is people are complaining, they're telling their dog, their neighbor, whatever, whatever the problems are, uh, you know, in the community, or you hear it a lot at the federal level. And in reality, they're going to the wrong person. You know, if you have a problem, like you said, at City Hall, you go to the mayor of the town or the city council. If it's at the state level, you want to be clear what level of government you're going to, and you go to your representative, assembly person, or whomever. And at the federal level, you're probably initially going to start with your congressman or congressperson. And 
most people don't do that. They just say, well, you know, I'll write a letter to the New York Times or I'm going to call up, uh, I'm going to call the president, you know, I'm going to call the president's office. And it's just not the right approach. Yes, and there are many different layers of government. One thing that I experience in my particular town is you have the city, you have the county, you have the township, you have the state, and you have the federal government. And then even in some other cases, you might have a layer of bureaucracy, perhaps with the local university. And so somebody may say, uh, I have a problem with my water line. Well, they may be in the Murdale Water District, even though they have a Murfreesboro address. And so really taking, and with Google today, it's not as even as hard as it used to be, taking the time to make sure that you know that you're contacting the right person can help avoid a lot of initial frustration when you're trying to fix a, a problem that you're dealing with. Yeah, and I think, you know, often people are frustrated by, you know, they say the government or bureaucracy, and that's really part of the problem. They're going to the wrong person, the wrong department, the wrong level, and even, you know, when you describe what happens with the townships or the university, at the federal level, you're dealing with all the agencies. But I think if people have a clear understanding of kind of civics, that we have the three branches of government, and that applies all the way down, then they know that the the one they want to go to is the legislative branch, unless, of course, it's an issue related to something in the executive branch or within the agencies. Talking with John Tebow today, his book is called How to Change a Law. Uh, John, how can people buy your book? Yeah, How to Change a Law is available pretty much everywhere, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, bookstores, your local library, um, and it's available in all the formats. So you can get How to Change a Law paper, hardback, uh, audio as well. So um, lots of different places. And how long is this book? It's uh, about 167 pages. And in the process of writing this book, uh, how long did it take and how much editing did you have to do? You know, the, the easy part I thought initially was I was having conversations with folks where they were saying, could you explain to me how this idea would work? And as those went on, I was having them again and again and again. So it became fairly simple to actually write the book because I was just, I wasn't dictating it, but I got to the point where I could just take the chapter and lay it out and then figure out where to put things. Um, but in terms of editing, I went back and did more research and got footnotes and uh, cases of examples of people who had succeeded or people who were frustrated, but some particular cases of people who were actually making some progress in this area. And I think that's one thing that makes this book particularly valuable is it's not just one informed person's opinion. You also have interacted with folks and paint some real-life illustrations that uh, I think people can relate to. Yeah, there's, um, there's one – well, actually, a really good example is um, here – I'm in Silicon Valley, and – a former state senator called Joe Simidian, he ran a contest actually for 10 years where he encouraged his constituents if they wanted to change a law to come forward and they would write perhaps two or 300 words, a couple of paragraphs, and submit it to his office. They then would look at these, maybe they received two or 300 a year, he would select 10 or 20 of them, and then he would then sponsor that bill on the Senate floor. And again, think of what he's doing. He's clarifying the issue of what the person wants done. He is actually building a coalition of his 
colleagues in the House and Senate, or the Assembly and the Senate, and then he's approaching and bringing that to the floor and saying, hey, let's vote on this, because this person brought up an idea that we, as politicians, elected politicians, really didn't even know about. And he, he actually told me at one point, he said, you know, the ideas that came from the public in some cases were much better than what the politicians came up with themselves. Well, there's no doubt that the best ideas always emanate from the neighborhood, because that's where the issues are the closest to the people. And people will not generally fabricate their lived experience when they're dealing with a problem. And, you know, one of the problems with government is the higher up you go, the thicker the bubble is and the easier it is to drift away from the people at the ground level, so to speak. And so that's an encouraging story you just shared, because that's, in my opinion, uh, when government is really at its best. Yeah, they're listening to what the people want to do. And I, I think of this like boots on the ground, where individuals are closest to the problems. And it's the same in a company where you have customer service, where people are saying, our customer doesn't like this, we need to change the product or the service. And the best companies that do that actually then probably survive and thrive. And the ones that don't say, no, we know what the right thing that we should do is. And then they make mistakes and they lose market share. You know, I think... It's important for politicians and political leaders to listen to the constituents, hear what they have to say. And you're right. In some cases, they're getting farther away from that now. So, John, one of the other things that I think is interesting is that you have made somewhat of a study of these ridiculous laws that are still on the books. I can think of one in my own hometown of Murfreesboro. In our ordinance book, there is an ordinance that prohibits fortune telling now of course we don't we don't have any fortune tellers in town that i know of um and we probably need to uh, repeal that i don't know maybe there's a large constituency who still believes that it ought to be uh, prohibited can you tell us a little bit about some of these odd laws that are still on the books yeah you know they're really everywhere and i think some of them are vanity laws that may have been like you said with the fortune teller that may have been put in a hundred years ago when somebody was in office and they said this is a silly thing let's just put it in or I'm prevent my neighbor from doing it one of the things i've noticed as a general rule with these is that they're always admonitions no one ever says hey there's a law that you have to go to harvard university but there's always a law for instance for in chicago it's illegal to dine in a restaurant that's on fire that may not be self-evident, but, you know, don't <laughs> sit in the restaurant while it's burning down, I guess, waiting for your bill. Um, another one is it's illegal for dogs to drink whiskey. So, you know, we go on and on. And these are these are ones in Illinois, actually. It's illegal to make faces at dogs or to give a pet a cigar. So when you think of them, you say, boy, that's really strange. Here's an interesting thing, though. There is a, uh, again, I'm aware of this in California, there's a commission where people can come back and they look, they review some of the laws that have been on the books and say, you know, let's get this one off. And I actually had mentioned to a couple of folks, it's probably a great idea for a law student or a group of law students or interns as a summer project to look at some of the weird laws that are on the books in their community and say, maybe we can get this one off the books. And in the course of doing that, of course, they're going to learn how to get a law on, how to get a law off, and then see if there's support for it. But I think getting some of them off the books is a good way to review what we already have in there. 
John Tebow, our guest today. John, thank you so much. Good. Thanks a lot, Will. I really appreciate being with your uh, listeners today.